And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. Revelation 8, verse 13. We're looking at that in the ninth chapter today. We're going to be reading that 8.13 up through the first six verses of chapter 9. Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. And this is the Word of God. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power like the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning that we have before us your word, Father, and the sacrament. We ask your spirit's help now as we come to your truth. Uh, Father, to give us understanding, Lord, of this passage, what it means for our lives, what it means for what you call us to do and be as your people, we would pray, so that you might be exalted. So, Spirit, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The eagle cry that opens our text this morning is dire. Uh, While we're used to singing holy, holy, holy to declare the degree and the intensity of the holiness of God, Uh, We're startled as this eagle of judgment cries, Whoa, 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 to indicate the severity about what's to happen to those who dwell on earth, which is uh, John's code for saying unbelievers, by the way, uh, when these final three of the seven trumpets are sounded. And so John sees these fierce locust-like creatures unleashed to bring anguish on people who are not sealed with God's ownership. Uh, Now, some of you will remember how Lindsay, back in the 1960s, declared that what John actually saw were Chinese attack helicopters. Um, And he said that John could only describe them with these words because he didn't have words that they would really understand. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this. I don't see a helicopter anywhere. Um, uh, So what is the message of the fifth and the sixth trumpets, and in particular, what do we learn about hardened hearts? Let's go to the text and see. Begin by noticing the verb tense here, a star fallen. A star had fallen from heaven. It's a past event. And it's always not a real star because it's called a he. And it's given a key to open up the abyss with. It shows God's control over the abyss. Now, we know Jesus said back in the Gospels in Luke ten eighteen that he saw Satan fall from heaven. Um, and, and, and so this fallen star here can be identified. This is Satan. We get down to verse 11. We're going to read that they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he's called Apollyon. Uh, and both those names, 
a mean destroyer. That's what Satan is, and that's precisely uh, what his locust-like army does. Now, as we go through the description of these locusts, uh, we get some real clues that they're not really locusts. All right, start, there's an abyss here. It's a bottomless pit. And when it's opened, out, out from it comes so much smoke that it that fills the sky. And then come these locust-like creatures out of the abyss. We go back to the book of Judges, the book of Jeremiah, and they remind us that, that the imagery of locusts was often used to describe a, a vast and devastating army. The eighth plague in Exodus was the plague of locusts. And they consumed everything edible in sight. That is, except uh, where God's people were. Um, and so one clue that these are not real locusts is, what do they not eat? They don't eat vegetation. So they've got to be something else. Um, so we know from the abyss uh, that demons are held captive by God. Uh, and so uh, here, uh, in fact, remember when demons really begged Jesus to be, to be kept from going back to the abyss, and they went into those pigs. Um, and so here they're released by God with the express purpose of tormenting, but not killing, those who have the seal of God on their foreheads, which we saw back in chapter 7. So God's in control. And then verses 7 to 10 give us a far more extensive description of these locust-like demons. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were look like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So what are we seeing? Might go back this afternoon, read the book of Joel, get some insight, perhaps. The crowns of gold speak uh, to uh, probably the limited authority that's been given them and maybe a little bit of mockery of Jesus. Their human faces and their long women's hair point to their craftiness, and perhaps their siren-like deceit. They've got teeth like lions that, that point to their, their fierceness, breastplates that make them formidable foes. The noise that comes from their wings makes uh, uh, sparks, and, and they, people fear them uh, as the coming inspiring dread. Scorpion tail points to the, to the pain they can cause. And while real uh, locusts are more hit and run, they come and they quickly go, these locusts stay for the entire, entire life cycle of a locust, which is about five months. Again, a, a limited period of time under God's control. And the torment they bring is spiritual. They can't touch them. Remember, we're learning the battles again that we face our primary spiritual battles. The terms the different commentators will use to describe these battles are, are inner pain, despair, confusion, bitterness, conflict. And it's so intense that the people would rather die. They asked to die. Uh, but part of their judgment is that death eludes them and they're forced to live. Now what do we learn 
One, sin's price is very high. There's no lasting uh, contentment found in sin. Satan's followers are in emotional, spiritual turmoil. Nothing can help them. If you wonder today why people seem so miserable and so hateful, well, here you go. This is it. This torments a present-day reality, and it's only getting worse as the second coming approaches. So they hope for death. How pathetic. Now, let's be clear. Even as God's children in Egypt escaped the locust, God's sealed children are protected here. We will not be tormented by these demons. Now, that does not mean we might not face some of the same issues that we mentioned. But we can know there's no demon involvement. And so for us, there's hope. And so verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And now the sixth blast. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. All right, four angels under God's control, are holding back an incredible army. And then word comes from the golden altar, the altar where the prayers of God's people were offered up in chapter 7, as we saw. Uh, and, the, and the angels cry out from there to these other angels to release what they're holding back. So those four angels that are there holding back the troops at the river Euphrates are obviously demons as well. And then John hears a number. It's an incredible number. If you do the math, you'll discover that's 200 million troops. 200 million demons are released at the Euphrates. And the Euphrates is the traditional starting point for invasions of the Middle East. And in John's days, he writes, the Romans were fearing an invasion of the Parthians beyond the Euphrates River uh, as well. It's really a symbolic symbol in the, uh, a symbol, it's a symbol of the Bible that's symbolic of, of the, uh, there's God's kingdom and there's Satan's kingdom. Uh, there's good and there's evil. And it says there's a precise moment in time when they're ready. And so we take their activity we combine it with the attacks on nature itself with the first four trumpets. And they come with the task then to kill one-third of humanity. Now, while Lindsay saw the Chinese army here, 
so what for Kyle Lindsay? He's easy to pick on, folks. Um, what we see is far worse. All right, these are the most hideous beast that John can, can possibly describe and come up with his words: heads like lions, and fire and smoke and sulfur coming out that has the power to kill. Tails like serpents to, to use as weapons. It's a terrifying image. And they're bent on destruction. So use your imagination to picture this. It's far beyond anything you saw in Star Wars. All right, it's, it's a demonic force. And the key point is this. I don't want to run into these guys. All right? Never. And their mission is to deceive people and to destroy through torment and death one-third of the world's population. Friends, this is the unseen spiritual world that John's given a vision of. And these are hideous creatures. These are monstrosities with one purpose, to attack and kill unbelievers. So let's not look for a literal fire-breathing horse invasion. Don't waste time trying to match these things up with modern instruments and weapons of war. What should be obvious to us is that from the time of Christ's ascension until now, the world is in rebellion against God. And indeed, this could be real war that these demons inspire, among other things. Certainly all those details are in God's hand. War would help explain the, the death of one-third of the world's population. But remember, just as in the parable that wheat and tares, they, they grow together, Satan's kingdom continues today to grow right aside the kingdom of God. And so spiritual warfare is constant, and it's going to intensify. And notice who Satan attacks. The Christians are sealed. It's those who hate God. So what's the reward that the world receives for following after Satan? To be attacked by Satan. And Jesus, what a contrast. What a contrast. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's the impact? It's hardened hearts. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Uh, the trumpet sounds have clearly hardened the hearts of those who refuse to repent of their sinful works. They refuse to repent of demon and idol worship. If you go to Deuteronomy 32, you can see how that's one and the same. Instead, they remain, remain committed to murder. And we see that today. You realize a civilian walking through Ukraine since the beginning of the war there has had a lesser chance of being killed than you have walking through the streets of New Orleans or Chicago or Atlanta. Contemplate that. 
There's the worship of abortion. There's a commitment to sorcery, rejecting the truth about God. Sexual morality, there's outright rebellion against God, that he created a male and female distinctive. There's a disdain for marriage. Stealing, theft, copying someone else's homework is a way of life for many. On the other hand, in New York City, they're having to put even spam... This is the real spam, the spam in a can, folks. They're having to put it under a lock and key so people won't steal it. I used to try to give that away at food day. I don't know. There's a rebellion against the notion of private property. Neo-Marxism is on the rise. Uh, here's at least just four of the Ten Commandments that they are rebelling against. Hard hearts indeed. So what about us? One, we've got to understand the world is doomed because their hearts are hard towards God. Two, understand the kingdom of God is growing as many hearts turn to God. Those truths are, those are simultaneously true, both things. The question is, how will God use us to grow His kingdom to rescue people from darkness to light, from death to life. It should be obvious to us that it might not have been obvious even 50 years ago in the United States that the church really is countercultural. The church really is a, a, a cultural misfit. The church's task is not to become as much like the world as possibly they can be. The church's role is to show something different. And indeed, the battle we face is different. So our, our weapons, they're not, they're not the world's weapons. Uh, our, our weapons are love, the truth of God's Word, prayers that thunder, worship that exalts God, a lifestyle that is grace-based. Our weapons are not the world's rhetoric. They're not shouting, and please, it is not hate. Rather, we're to show the gospel by our deeds and share the gospel with our words. We cannot effectively share a gospel that we do not know and show. Carl Truman describes our task as cultural protest. I put this definition in your notes. The church protests the wider culture offering a true vision of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. Again, the church protests the wider culture, offering a true vision of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And he points back to the second century church. They were among the earliest readers of Revelation. And they were learning to be the church in a world that didn't know what to make of the church nonetheless hated the church for being different, like today. Drawing from Justin Martyr, who addressed the, the Roman Empire from the uh, Christian perspective, Truman notes that they, they did not spend a lot of time denouncing the evils of the empire in his court. Uh, 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 though to be sure, there's a place for that. Notice John the Baptist. But the church's emphasis on what they were to be, who they were, arguing positively that the Christians made the best citizens, the best parents, the best servants, the best neighbors, the best employees. 
It'd be better just to, to, to leave them alone without harassing them. The authorities harassing them to live their day-to-day lives. They did so. They had a commitment to fight infanticide to be sure they rescued abandoned children. They were known to minister to the sick when nobody else would. That lifestyle gave a platform to share what makes the difference. And for us, what makes the difference is the gospel. And Truman includes with, a, with a, an essential reminder. God is sovereign. And therefore, God plays the long game. Right? We're, we're in a hurry. In a real hurry. But God plays the long game. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one way God, one way God gives us strength to live the, uh, such lives to, to play the long game is the Lord's table. So I invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are members of an evangelical church, to, to come to this table. Uh, those of you not believers yet, we're glad you're here, but the Lord himself asked you in the Bible not to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, just let the elements pass and, and then let us share with you how you can come to know Jesus, Savior, and Lord. And not face the judgment that we've heard about today. I'm sure to say, I hope meeting Jesus is something you're pursuing because you see Satan's hatred. Do not let your heart grow hard. Look to the cross, the wonderful cross, and see the love of God. Likewise, children have not yet been examined by the session or asked to let the elements pass, but please see me if you want to, serve, to partake. Um, believers, this Lord's table reminds us that we're sealed. We're safe. And it's all because of Jesus. We sang earlier that Jesus took the wrath of God towards our sin upon himself. He gives us His robes of righteousness to, to, to wear before a holy God. And because of that, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When our trust is in Him, in Him only, God will work all things together for our good. This table gives us the strength to live the life God calls us to. Uh, it helps us in our battle against sin and are walking by His Word in dependence on the Holy Spirit. It clarifies in our minds and hearts, again, that, that I'm His and, and He's mine. On the other hand, there is a caution for us not to have hearts becoming hardened towards sin. It means if we're not taking sin seriously and we don't, we don't want to, maybe we flirt with sin or we, we have little compromises with sin. Friends, listen again to the blast of the trumpet. Listen to their warnings. If that's the case, probably let the elements pass and take time to repent. May God use the table today to strengthen us as we pray, as we live and worship. May we faithfully be out proclaiming uh, the Lord's death until He comes, that He's the source of life. So let's take a moment now and quietly confess our sins before a holy God. Acknowledge that we are sinners in your sight, that we battle sin every day. And Father, we rejoice that it's truly amazing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, fill us with that hope now, we pray.
Father, thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.